This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's secret word is Hulk Hogan. Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is Francis Lupai Ippolito, a Chinese-American writer in Portland, Oregon. When she's not spending time with her family outdoors, she's crafting short stories in horror, science fiction, fantasy, or whatever genre bending she can get away with. Her writing has appeared in several venues, including the Buckman Journal, Strange House's Chromophobia, Not a Pipe Publishing's own anthology, Stories Within, Mother, Tales of Love and Terror, Death's Garden Revisited, and Unquiet, Spirit, Unquiet Spirits, Essays by Asian American Women in Horror. Francis also co-chairs the Young Willamette Writers Program that provides free writing classes for high school and middle school students. Francis, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, this is this is a fun show where we don't get into process. We're just talking about procrastination. And the first thing we always have to do, the, the folks who are watching on YouTube can see us right now. They can see our costumes. We come in these full costumes every time. We really are, are you know, going all out for the show. And so we describe our costumes for the folks who are just listening on the podcast. So tell everybody about what you're wearing. Well, um, you know, I was thinking that spring is coming, and so I wanted to dress appropriate to the season. And I think the best way to describe my outfit is um, is cabbage, or what I like to call future kimchi, because that is what <laughs> cabbage is destined to become often in in my house. Um, so what I've got on is a, a white shirt with leafy green green trim and dark leggings, just like soil. And um, when I write or don't write, I really like to be in tune with all the senses, including my appetite, because I like to cook. And so right now I'm thinking about spring and pickled vegetables. And I wanted to match. And so I wore something that matches kind of my ancestry. So I went out and got this Mr. Potato Head costume because that's, you know, how my, my ancestors survived was, uh, you know, they were the, the, the poorest people of uh, Ireland and Eastern Europe. And uh, and so lots and lots of potatoes. And so I just rented this Mr. Potato Head costume. And uh, so I, I think that that'll be a, a fun show. We've got we've got kimchi and, and potatoes here. I'm, I'm hungry already. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I really should have brought something. <laughs> Uh, so what has been, when you're not writing this last week, what has been your favorite kind of pop culture distraction? Yeah, um, which is really hard because, you know, there's so much content out there to figure out which ones to be obsessed about um, for that day. Um, one thing that I really liked is this Korean reality show that's on Netflix. It's called Physical 100. And basically they bring in all of these participants who are athletes in different ways, um, cheerleaders, gymnasts, Olympic gold medal winners, or uh, bodybuilders, wrestlers, women and men. And they put them in these physical challenges where you know, the different strengths of their of their particular physique may be a weakness or yeah. um, an advantage. And so I love watching it. And I, I kind of love the women wrestlers. They're just 
they're just so amazing like physically they just toss people around yeah (laughs) i'm a big basketball fan and one of the things i love about basketball is that it is the the complexity of the sport is such that you can't really have doping in the same mm-hmm. way that you could because if you get too bulked up and you're really really strong that becomes a disadvantage in your speed if you are using something that increases your you know your stamina but it is you know uh you know getting in the way of your judgment that's going to impair you as well and so you know i i would love to check out something where you're recognizing that training for one particular you know, event doesn't necessarily prepare you for all of them. <laughs> yeah. And the challenges are kind of secret. And so when they, when these contestants are presented with them, it's interesting to see their reactions because some of them come in very confident and they're not anymore yeah. after they see what they have to do. Um, something else that I've been doing is uh, I play a lot of board games and I, uh, and in general, um, and one of them that I really like um, is by Awaken Realms, and it's um, Ether Fields, and it's an older game, but it's uh, got really great art. It's sort of an immersive experience where you go into a dream, and in the dream, you're encountering this, this world that's slowly being revealed, and then monsters will come out. Um, you can awaken from dreams if you if you make yourself awaken, but you also can get stuck in dreams and doing them over and over again if you're not successful. So I think that was kind of an interesting experience. And, and is it uh, more tabletop or cards or both? How does it's it? Ta- it's both. So there's it's tabletop. There's a lot of board components that you have to build out, um, but there are cards that you use as well. And um, and let's see what else. And um, it just has a lot of pieces too like the the monsters and like your character so i i like games that have that real tactile experience but i also really love games that have great storytelling and this is one i think that does a pretty good job balancing i mean every game has their little like things where i'm like oh i would have done that like every book right we're like i would have done that a little differently but um i do like this one i like a lot of the things that awakened realms has put out um they put out nemesis and which is sort of a I won't call it aliens, but it is aliens. <laughs> it's a little bit like <laughs> aliens where you're on a ship and and there are these um, creatures so, that are coming to hunt you. <laughs> are these role-playing games where the, like, what would be the, the length of time that you're, you oh, could yeah. continue playing one character? Well, these are campaigns. And so that's what I love about games like this um, or legacy games is that it's not each time you just start over. I mean, you could, but right. each each iteration builds on itself and so you kind of uncover a little bit more of the puzzle so um I've I've played Pandemic in the past I don't know if you play Pandemic which is like a little bit probably too much to play these days but I played that one through and they have a couple legacy games as well where you know you're trying to solve this mystery of how this particular thing came out into the world and then you have to work with your team and then as you progress you realize that some things are a little more sinister or something and then this one um you have a story that's slowly being revealed and you're making choices but ultimately the story will unfold and uh, each time you play it takes you closer to kind of just exploring the world but also like what the next step is um in nemesis there is that as well but you you can also play it as a standalone this is just like a, a, a group of us playing together. We're going to play one episode. We don't have to, yeah. you know, you don't have to play each time with the same group of people. That's um, which is nice because role-playing games, getting the group together can be one of the big challenges. What is the length of time most of the time when for, for a single episode? For this one, for a two-player, um, I would say 
I don't know. It's not really long. I think it's like 45. That's been like oh. my experience. Sometimes it can go an hour. And I mean, if you're it's still very manageable and then you very could decide, we could do another yeah. one. We could, you yeah. know, we're here. Or you can oh, choose good. like stopping points. Like, oh, we didn't, we weren't successful. Maybe we should take a break. <laughs> yes. And like um, with Nemesis, it can be a little bit longer because it's a hard, I, I think it's a little bit harder in the sense that there's a, there's a bigger board and you kind of have to, you have like missions. So it could take um, longer with more people. Uh, but I don't know. I I do yeah. I do like the the games that are short. But sometimes you know you have like there's like a sweet spot of like ninety minutes. I think ninety yeah. minutes to two hours, right? So although a, an hour is nice because you could easily decide in the moment, let's do two. You know, and yeah. so that 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 provides that flexibility. I kind of feel like you've been distracted by games lately too. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, yeah. And so I and I, yeah, this is one where I'm like, this sounds really uh, up my alleys, and I like the idea of playing in that dreamy reality. You know, that dreamy space. Uh, mm -hmm. So that would that could be really cool. Yeah, the art is really pretty. Um, what else have I been distracted by? I think everybody's distracted by AI. So uh, just. Put me down on the list of like what is going to happen um i don't know i mean yeah. i have no idea yeah but well and yeah you you work in this field so you know the what what is the part of it that is the copywritten work of the human i was hearing a a new term that's cracked me up they are calling this potential profession uh prompt engineers which I think <laughs> is I a terrible it. terrible term because Prompt could also be an adjective. Are they fast engineers? But the people who, you know, are get really good at telling the AI, this is what we'd like you to do. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, this potential whole field of people who are good at working with AI. Uh, but are do they own it then? Who owns it? Yeah, that? it's very interesting. I mean, there are, I mean, I won't get too much into it because I, I do work at, like in the legal side of, the, of a lot of, well, I mean, I don't actually do like any um, private practice work anymore. I work for um, the government, but um, it is interesting to see how the law is developing to try to keep up with, mm -hmm. because I will say this in the, the most diplomatic way, law is very conservative and slow. Yes. slow. <laughs> so it is not when I think of like innovative and fast, it is not usually what I think of. I think of like, you know, startups and stuff. I don't necessarily think like, yay, like we're going to move really quickly with changes. So it'll be, it's interesting to me to see the develop, how quickly the AI is developing yeah. and that there will be a lag to see how to deal with um, even things like where, you know, a particular um, artist or an illustrator is, is an artist, is creating art, but is then melding it with other right. components that may not be solely like by hand or, you know, self-generated. Um, to see what that means and how that's going to be treated. And I think also it'll be interesting to me to see when um, somebody completely independent from the first artist puts in the same prompt, right? Get something right. similar because the, the AI is learning from everybody. And right. the AI well, is and, not, and, you know, there've been you know, legal tests in the past that have used percentages, you know, if mm -hmm. it is 10% new work, if it is, you know, well, there's, I, how would you measure that with AI? The, the, the human creates the prompt. Is that 90% the AI's work? Is that 50% the AI's work? So that, that will be really interesting to see. And the AI learn from other humans. So yeah. do those people deserve to have a cut? If, you know, realistically, that's everyone. I mean, everyone who's creating anything on, online is 
teaching the AI? Do those people all deserve some some compensation for the thing that ended up being created because they participated in the education of the AI? So, well, yeah, and on the publishing side too, I I'm sure that there are different uh, there's different temperatures, right, for how people feel about having work that might have been inspired or uh, generated or assisted by AI in any way, right? And um, some some people might think, well, I don't want anything that has at all touched, like even a prompt, right? And other people are like, well, I don't know, like yeah. you well, made it, so. We started to see this very new phenomena of with, you know, for, for next to nothing, you can generate an auto response kind of query letter Mm -hmm. and attach a story that's computer generated and you can make <laughs> submissions. And so yeah. I'll get these submissions where the email is barely written by a human and the, the short story they're sending into me or the novel in some cases are not written by a human at all. And it's yeah. get, getting to the point where I'm thinking about saying, you know, for our submissions page, you have to pay a dollar or something mm -hmm. like that just to create some kind of barrier, barrier to entry. Yeah. So that when all these folks say, Hey, it's it's free to submit. I might as well submit to all of them, and maybe somebody will accidentally pick up my AI-generated novel that took me no effort. You know, so that's that's something that we've been talking about. Uh, you know, Vivica and I, like, do we do we want fifty cents? You know, like, but just yeah. it's something that prevents the the computers from from submitting. Um, so we we shall see how that's going to play mm -hmm. out. I do have one hope because, like you, I am concerned that the the legal system is too slow to deal with this like this is gonna you know there, there was a there was a senator who was still describing the internet as a system of tubes <laughs> in like the aughts like he just had no idea how it functioned and uh and so that you know that uh yeah but by, by the time the senators who can't program their own microwaves <laughs> trying to decide how to you know create complex copyright law uh it, it will have moved beyond them but my hope is that we can use ai to monitor AI, that we can mm -hmm. have programs where I could say, I want to use the filter on my browser that identifies AI generated content so that there, you know, it dissuades people from using AI because they're going some measure of people out there will immediately see that this is AI. Let's not use that as the picture in our AI generated clickbait article. Let's not use AI generated text in that article because some people right away won't read it. And so, you know, just I just letting people know this is not created by a human, I think will allow us to make intelligent decisions about, yeah, but maybe it's really great. I, I might want that AI generated song, but at least I'm aware that it's AI generated because a different program told me that. So yeah, that's, I that's think it, hope. yeah. And I know that like it, takes a while for like other industries or other parts of society to catch up. But I feel like it's also kind of um, exciting and fascinating to yeah. see what will happen. I know it's like hard. In some ways it's like traumatic for artists. It's like, what? Like I work so hard. I mean, I don't think that the AI is going to re replace everything, but I think you're right. I think there is going to be some sort of complementary um, relationship that is going to have to evolve because that's, that's kind of where we are, you know, it's not going away. Can't put it back in the box. So well, and you think about see what like happens. our kids have grown up, you know, I'm I'm old enough that I'm I'm that in-between generation where, you know, like I started using email in college. So I did have a time pre-internet in my life, and my students cannot fathom a world without internet. Like that is, you know, the, the their phones have always been available uh their, their entire lives. 
And the next generation will not have lived in a time without AI. Like that will be their, their experience. And so we are developing these technologies uh, and, and, you know, it divides the generations. Uh, so that'll yeah, be interesting to see how, how they, they may be far more comfortable with it than we are. You know. Yeah, I think so. I, I feel that there's a lot more comfort in, and this isn't an, like an age thing. I think younger people tend to be a little bit more comfortable about a lot of things, but yeah. um, I think uh, just in general of sharing themselves, mm-hmm. you know, very publicly. And so um, sharing yourself to an AI or giving an AI more information for assistance might not really be that different than just whatever they're doing already. It's going into the... <laughs> Yeah. It's, well, and I, you know, it reminds me of the fact that I, I learned once, I can't remember what the year was, but there, there were no real clear pieces of legislation that guaranteed any kind of right to privacy before, I believe it was in the 1900s, because it just wasn't a concern. Like people didn't worry if they were living, you know, five miles away from the nearest person that their privacy was being invaded, mm-hmm. that, that needed to be protected at all. And so we have this sense of, oh, you can't take from me that was never enshrined in law. There's no privacy right uh, explicitly in the constitution. It's in some you know interpretation since, uh, but, uh, but because that wasn't a concern. And we may just have this weird moment in our history where for a period of time, people worried about privacy. And then in the future, they just go, no, that's not even a concern. Everything is public. You know, I think this this next generation may go, no, everybody knows everything about everybody and that's fine. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of trust. That's a lot of yeah. trust to put into, you know, the whatever is receiving all the information. Right. But, um, but I don't know, like grumpy cat pictures are probably low risk. <laughs> right. <laughs> <There's> a, <laughs> well, and it, will, you it know, depends on what you're putting out there. Like, and is the lack of privacy actually going to be the solution, the transparency? So instead of Google owns this information about me, maybe it's just out there and everybody owns it. And that way, when my insurance company finds out something and uses it to jack up my rates, it's like, yeah, because it was public information because everything is basically public. And the next generation may be comfortable with that. Whereas I'm going, oh, I don't like the idea of turning over my DNA to Ancestry.com because what if they turn it over to my insurance company, you know? And so- yeah. Yeah, they, they, this this next group may have a very different attitude about that. And it's interesting to think about the fact that these values can just change over time based on the technology. Yeah, and I've actually thought about, because I have, I have kids and I thought, oh, you know, I grew up and I went to college and I met some kids who didn't have TVs in their homes. And so I was one of those kids that grew up on like Smurfs and like things uh-huh, I watched exactly. a lot. I watched a lot of cartoons. And I think I came out okay, but I did watch, like I, I could sing oh, yeah. these songs, right? These show songs. And I met some kids who didn't have TVs at home. They were way more productive people, but they also gave off that kind of vibe of like, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not sure if I could, I can explain this to you. So I think sometimes about my, my kids, um, this concept of like, if they're not out there, if they don't have a presence or their data isn't out there, is that going to be weird when someone tries to Google yeah. and they find like, it's been scrubbed. Like, what are you hiding? <laughs> right? Yeah, what they're going to be you... socially separated. Yeah. You know, in an effort to protect our kids, are we socially distancing them from the very people who are going to say, "But this is normal." You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I had some friends in college who were the same way. They never had TV as a kid, and they, you know, we would be sitting around and somebody would make a reference to GI Joe or Transformers or whatever, and they were going, "I don't know this <laughs> thing that you're talking about," and we're like. 
how can a human not know this? <laughs> Everyone knows this, you know, but you're right. You know, if, if you're not exposed, it can make you odd, even though the thing wasn't particularly of value. You know, if you yeah. go back and watch those old Transformers cartoons, they're terrible. <laughs> we were not watching good stuff, you know. <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure that if someone gave you a transformer, like one of those, oh, uh, you would totally be like... I would be totally excited. But you you go back and you watch them. And that, the Transformers was the first one that was really brilliant where they realized, hey, instead of advertising to kids on some other show, we can make money by having a, a 20 minute long advertisement with advertisements yeah. in it. And so the show is awful. It is so, so bad. The animation is terrible. They had no interest in producing something of quality. It was just kids are dumb. They'll watch this thing. And so like the disdain for the audience comes through. <laughs> They're like, this barely makes sense. Uh, robots, <laughs> we just want you to buy the robots. Oh, we don't have a, a piece for you to buy with that. Then we'll just excise it from the story. Like it was all about, hey, we're advertising a new thing for you to buy on this episode. Like it's it's really like bad. A lot of the cartoons of that time, like He-Man and also yeah. like were designed there were a lot of toys I, I can remember the commercials for the now that you met you know maybe my friends who didn't have tvs had it right <laughs> like yeah maybe. they were just advertisements you know and so there each so episode was like we're introducing a new character for you to purchase yeah and you know oh the other stuff that makes a story valuable if there's nothing to purchase that relates to it we're going to minimize that and so the storytelling is really abominable and then you realize because the whole driver is we need to introduce this new character for you to buy like it's yeah. a weird way to tell a story when you're only focused on your product line because you know that's all the boss cares about is is this going to translate into sales of toys they're but very I have, odd i have to tell you that right now i really want a toy after right, we're talking right? yes Yes, I, I mean, I, you know, and I'm sorry, I like look back on those and I'm like, oh, those toys were so important to us, you know. Yes, like, they were. But uh, oh, like going to McDonald's and getting that happy meal with that toy inside. Oh, my, I still get excited when I go through drive through. <laughs> we had the weirdest experience. We were uh, in uh, Greece or maybe we were in Italy this last summer, and uh, my son and a couple of friends walked into a a McDonald's and they were promoting um, this new Minions movie and the Happy Meal toy was a full-size beach towel that was an advertisement for Minions. And they were like, "Wow, we're on vacation. We didn't bring beach towels. Everybody get a Happy Meal. So, <laughs> so we had Minions beach towels that came in the Happy Meal. Like, very different idea of what kind of thing. Wow. Whereas there's this woman, I don't know if you've ever heard the, uh, her story. She's called the, uh, I believe it's the Junk Queen. She's brilliant. And she figured out that uh, a Chinese entrepreneur, she figured out that she could kind of corner the market of producing plastic junk in China that would then be put in Happy Meals, knowing full well it would almost immediately be thrown away, and that the Chinese government would subsidize the shipping of the Chinese junk to the United States. Mm -hmm. The American government would pay her to own the landfills where it would be dumped in China. And so she was making money both ways on stuff that was just garbage. And she's a billionaire. Wow. Isn't that wild? Like th this is totally useless. I mean, from an environmental perspective, it's a nightmare. Like this is just unnecessary oil going back and forth across the Pacific Ocean. But if the, both governments are participating, she just sat back and went, I make junk. The Americans throw it away. They pay me to throw it away here. <laughs> that was her whole business did you ever watch that movie labyrinth with yes. ever, yes. that character the lady yes, <laughs> yes the junk queen 
I yes. got that for you right here. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly yep. what I'm thinking about. Like, oh, I yeah. Got that for you. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that scene scared me when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, she's terrifying. Yeah. But, Muppets yeah, are terrifying, actually, I think. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, hoarders, hoarders can be very frightening. <laughs> <laughs> So what's a news story that's been uh, that's been taking your attention away this last week from your writing? Um, yeah, well, let's see. Last week. I don't know if it's last week, but it's been this month. Um, so speaking of like uh, social media and the Internet, um, I was reading about this 85 year old Harvard study that I think basically tells us what we probably should already know, which is that if you have a lot of toxic relationships in your life, you're going to die early. <laughs> so. Uh-huh. Um, I, I mean, it was it was bigger than that. It was more of like, what is actually happiness and how is that um, for longevity? And the study found over time that um, it's not really tied to money. I mean, certainly like, you know, better health care, but um, it's not really tied to wealth or even diet or even really like health. It's more tied to having positive relationships. And that means that um, those relationships are in like a, in sort of a like varied relationships. And so what the study is um, sort of like supporting is this idea that you should have social fitness. You should do an audit of your relationships and like really go through and, you know, check to see. Uh, they don't have to all be like 100% great, like from, you know, nose to tail, but you know, everybody yeah. knows that there are certain relationships that have not been positive for periods of time. And to go through and just to see if you got a good balance, because um, if you don't, then yeah, you're probably actually giving up years of your life. Years of, of your people, life to some of these people. Like yeah, they actually no, I, are. I've read about this. This study is fascinating. It's flawed in that almost all the participants at the beginning were, you know, cishet white males, and so it is. It is a different, <laughs> you know, it is a population that is limited. So some of the conclusions should be taken with a grain of salt. But they found really fascinating stuff with that. But you know, yes, absolutely, years of your life can be lost. One of the things that was a interesting finding in that is children don't make you happy; grandchildren do. <laughs> Being a parent of young kids, your happiness goes down for a while, and then. As your children become adults, and then especially if they have children, then your happiness goes up. It's a long-term <laughs> yes. investment. It's yep. a long-term investment. It really is. Yeah. So I, I, th- I thought that was great. You, you, yeah. You know, Sorry, I, kids. All of your kids. Are like, <laughs> well, I, I think I did it right because I've got one child. He's phenomenal. You know, I'm very happy with my one kid, but I've been pressuring him his entire life to have lots of children of his own. <laughs> so I'll get to have like five grandkids, but I just had to raise one. I, feel, I think I'm doing the math properly there ah, i see have you it's... talked this you've talked to him about oh, oh yeah yeah okay. he, he, he oh. just rolls his eyes and ignores me but i'm still laying the groundwork so yeah start laying the groundwork with your kids now that they yeah. are obligated to have far more children than you did yeah you know, so for it's your it's, sake so instead of like those cartoons we watch you should build in like the ads for grant like, yeah child rearing <laughs> videos <laughs> yes exactly um, yeah, I mean, even when we was little, we were like, you know, hey, I, I don't care what your, uh, you know, sexual orientation is, as long as you're really comfortable with adopting, but you need to have lots of kids for my <laughs> sake, because I love babies, but I want to raise one and take care <laughs> of lots of yours. So uh, yeah, I, I've, I've been working on them. 
I like this. I feel like you've already you've, you've pinpointed the 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 way to get your life force back. Yep, yep. it's <laughs> the long term planning. I want to be a grandfather to lots and lots of little adorable babies. That's that's the the key to happiness. <laughs> so, uh, what's a hobby you've been working on uh, that pulls you away from your writing? Um, so I do a lot of running. I don't. <laughs> I'm a I'm a terrible runner in the winter, uh, because I I don't. I know a lot of people in the Pacific Northwest is like, it's just water. You just go out. You put on the appropriate attire. There's you. You don't need to stop in the rain. Um, but it's rain cold. destroys my shoes. It destroys <laughs> my feet. And so, um, I do run though. So I run a lot indoors. Um, and I in the summer I will run outside and I will play um, ultimate frisbee when I can. There are a lot of pickup games actually in Portland. Uh, that um, sounds, I love ultimate and I do not play it enough. And it's a great workout. You run, run, run for, you know, four hours. It's, yeah. a, it's a blast. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of fun and people are really nice usually. And it's like very orderly. Like you have this spe specific distance you stand, yeah. you're like, you have the disc. I'm just going to stand here and count mm -hmm. while you hold it, give you some time. You think about what you want to do. But when the timer goes off, I'm taking that from you. Right. So you know you, and so I think it's it's a very like um, well planned out game, I would say, and it's it's great exercise. Um, I do have uh, friction gloves, so I could go play in the rain, um, but I I, I don't. Well, so I do run. Cold where the once the water gets through all the layers, it's a bone cold. I do yeah. not like that. You know that. I, we go protest for BLM every week. And when it's a rainy one and you're standing out there with a sign for an hour, it is cold. Yeah, <laughs> you it know, is. It's like, and my excuse is also environmental. Like you're going to rip up all the dirt. You're going to rip off the fields, yeah. right? Like, don't do that. No, yeah. you want to leave yes. it all nice. You're going to destroy all the, the grass. So don't bring, because the, the mud gets stuck in the cleats and everything, oh, yeah. bring it back. So, um, so that's one I am doing, uh, I decided that instead of doing a lot of repeat runs locally for races, so I usually motivate myself by doing like a half or something, um, that I would, uh, go with a group of uh, moms, um, and we would go and <laughs> leave behind our families. It sounds horrible. No, We're going to take a little, good for little you. break, little break, um, and go to do our first international run. So we're going to go to Germany and do a run. We'll stay together. Uh, we'll do the run because I, I personally think that walking or running a city is one of the best ways yeah. to actually see the city oh, yeah. and and then being part of a race where you're with all the people there's that energy of about you know, you're about to go 13 miles into the city um, over bridges that's kind of how I want to explore cities so we're going to go to yeah. Germany and um, what's our hope uh, to Cologne which I have never been to. So I, I'm yeah. jealous. I have been to Germany, but only Southern Germany. And the, there are a lot of, I've never been to Berlin before. There are a lot, and I've never been to Cologne. So that's one of the cities that I would love to go yeah, visit. It's a beautiful city from what I can, I, I've been there. It's a beautiful city from what I can tell. And it has this kind of marriage of a lot of Europe, but like, you know, old and new. And so yeah. some of the old city is there. And so we'll be able to run through some of the, the parts that have been there for a very long time. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. And then the hope is that we, the group can take turns every couple of years picking where each of us will go and um and that sort of takes the the place of doing multiple uh, races during their year we'll just do one major one and then we'll train for it but we'll basically save up for that <laughs> one yeah. one race and be motivated to do that uh and so yeah i think it'll be it'll be a lot of fun so i've been 
I've been sort of running. I don't know. I'm trying to to think about it. It's in October. Um, and I guess the other thing that I do is I I do read a lot of poetry and nonfiction, even do even though I write everything. And um, I've been reading uh, Nikita Gill, Roske, Ocean Vaughn, you know, so it's um, maybe it's the weather. I know you were saying like right. maybe poetry is kind of like seasonal too. Maybe right now it's kind of poetry it's, weather. It's poetry weather. It is. Yeah. This, you know, here in Oregon, it is, this is the, the, the long part of the rainy season. And so, yeah, I think that's a great idea. This is a good time to read poetry. For mm -hmm. me, the writing of poetry is often in that time in the summer when it's not too miserable to be out yet not august you know but when the, you have the, we have these beautiful days in in kind of early summer that are 70 degrees and i can just sit out on the back porch and then i'm like I, i'm feeling unproductive i guess i'll write a couple of poems today and i'll find like i write a lot that's how you're that unproductive season. yeah, yeah that's <laughs> I, well i'm i i have this really bad habit of feeling like if i'm not creating something if i'm not doing something that i like get down on myself i didn't make anything today and so you know <laughs> Some days that's prose, you know, hey, I, I produced the following number of pages. And then some days it's, if I wrote a poem, it's been a good day. I, I have done enough. <laughs> I just cook. And so I ah. make things too, but it's not, it's, no, that counts. it's, not, it's I mean, not writing. <laughs> no, that's, that absolutely counts. I am, it is good for everyone that I write poetry rather than cook because <laughs> cooking is terrible so uh yeah that's just not my you have to write poem. a poem now about recipes in a recipe yes. format oh, i'm looking for that now <laughs> yes i have i have heard of that that people are you know that is a growing form where people are writing recipes that you can actually you know produce the thing that is in the poem but then they write these beautiful poems around them and i'm like oh that's great mine would be a very short poem about a charcuterie board like that's you know <laughs> Nothing, no temperature was raised of anything, <laughs> like cheese and crackers and veggies. Yep, that's, I'm good. It sounds delicious. Your poem is delicious. <laughs> that's right. Very, very straightforward. Okay, well, Doug, let's, uh, let's go to our ad break. When we come back, we'll talk about what you've been daydreaming about. Okay. So, Doug, take us away to the ad break. Thanks. Thanks, Doug. Hey, everybody. Today's ad is for ads. If you're an indie author, you know how hard it is to get the word out about your books. Well, you could advertise on this show for less than 20 bucks. Just go to notapipepublishing.com. Click on the link for the show and sign up. You can also sign up to be a guest. That's always free. And we can try to time your ad or episode to match a book launch or a cover reveal or your birthday or a marriage proposal or the anniversary of a famous battle or the predicted return of a dead celebrity or profit or the... Live show announcement. We'll be at NorWestCon in Seattle, April 6th to 9th. The guests are to be announced. We'd love to have you in the live audience. Bring some fun questions to ask a panel of procrastinating authors. Okay, Doug, teleport us back to the show. So what's something you've been thinking about when you aren't writing? Uh, totally off the wall, serious. What's something that you've been daydreaming about? Well, I'm pretty weird, so I'll tell you that. So some of my 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 fiction is very uh, weird uh, because I am personally kind of a weird person. I have like a lot of weird interests. So one of the things that I have been kind of obsessed about is um, what I call smelling time. So we have all these ways of measuring time, and it feels like we never have any time, right? Every all of us are trying to manage time, which is like already impossible. You can't really manage time. Time exists. Time passes. 
have to manage yourself. But um, I I like the idea of sensing time differently because usually it's so visual or we say like we feel it, we feel the passage of time or we see people grow or whatever. Um, and I've been thinking about, well, how was timekeeping done in the past? I mean, there are, we have watches and things like that and they're pretty accurate. So um, in China and in a lot of other places, they would use actual um, sticks of incense or even coils of incense to keep track of time. And one of the things that I've been kind of going down a rabbit hole with is um, fire clocks. And so fire clocks are these um, dragon shaped holders and they could be really large too, depending, you know, how much time you're using, you know, keeping and everything. And they would hold incense and on the, the stick, there would be a thread with bells or something heavy that would clang. And as the stick burns, it'll burn through the thread or it burns enough so that the thread can, can fall. And when it does, there'll be a sound. But also there is the smell. And um, what I've been thinking about is that there's sound and we, we're, you know, we're used to hearing like chimes. So there's sounds, there's visual aspects of time, you feel it in your body. But also um, you could keep track of the time by creating incense that is burning into different scents yeah. as the, there's the passage of time. So I thought about that for writing. I've also thought about it because, you know, if you write anything, you have to do research, right? So trying to learn more about incense making and trying to make some myself. Um, it's it's a little bit like cooking, but I would say that it's, it's a little tricky too, because if you're making something that is gonna give any sense of actual time with accuracy, you wanna be able to at least try, right? Like right. somebody will ask like with candles, like how long does this candle burn? So it's something like that. Yeah. And then with a stick, um, if you've got different, things that are happening along it then um, maybe at one point you'll have like pumpkin spice and then you're like oh no it's two o'clock because now I smell sandalwood or maybe like you know something like that I don't know if it'll work but I like I bet it will work idea. but I'll bet that the the things you use for the scent will change the rate at which it burns mm -hmm. so if mm -hmm. you know if it's something that's sweeter it's going to burn hotter and yeah. there is a brilliant poem here like, yes. I mean, just the first line, the smell of time, I'm in. I'm I'm gonna read that poem, but you could do something where you talk about you should, you know, be yelling TM, TM, TM. This <laughs> is yours. But this is so cool because you could do something about the different scents at different parts of your life as this is burning. Yeah. And is it burning faster or slower with this smell and with these events going on in your life? You know, what what is the era of your life that you're in and what does it smell like as we as your time is burning? Yeah. And, Really and I cool. yeah and I thought about that also even you know aside from the time piece of it just thinking like um what do I do when I want to do like quiet time and I'm mm -hmm. calming down a lot of people burn candles or even when they write they'll do intention candles and they'll burn it and say like I'll write and I'll have the smell and everything and it'll kind of bring me to a place where I I feel like I'm calm enough to to like access that type of writing and with with incense, I, I think of as like, well, that's kind of an interesting thing too, because you could design things that you know would bring, if you're doing memoir, for example, bring the memories, because smell is a very strong oh, yeah. trigger for memory. So if you're thinking like, well, I want to think about, you know, Thanksgiving 10 years ago, like, can I find or put together something that smells like apple pie that, you know, yeah. whatever, like, what did we put in that pie? What was that combination? 
that butteriness. I mean, if you could just capture it and you're yeah. smelling it while you're writing, it takes you to a totally different place. So I, I don't know. I would maybe there, there's something here for like a there smell, a fragrance based writing workshop where everyone's yes. sniffing things. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, it so, sounds really bad. Smelling I'm, things. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> not the stink conference. No, but, no. You know, I, I I have a confession to make that the the the, the all the tens of listeners who are who are listening right now will uh, will will now know about me. Uh, but I am an anosmiac. I have no sense of smell or a very okay. limited sense of smell. And I recognize as I'm writing that for readers, smell is really important because it is so evocative. You know, it brings it, it creates a much richer sense of setting. But I can't describe it well because I don't know how things smell. So as a kind of inside joke in my current series. Every time I describe a smell, I use uh, 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 an analogy to yeah. something that is not smell. It smelled like this thing sounds. It smelled like this thing looks. And mm -hmm. it's this kind of running gag that only a few people in my life are like, oh, I know that the reason he's doing that is because he doesn't know what things smell like. Well, so, well you know, Ben, it smell, book, it, like, you can say, say it smells like midnight. You know. Right. Yep. And so early in the uh, book, uh, the, the the character uh, realizes that she has been, you know, chained to this desk, and she has not been able to escape for a period of time. So she is smelling like somebody who's not taken a bath, and she says, uh, the the narrative voice says, she smelled like a, a beginning violinist, amateur violinist sound. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't know what she would smell like, but I know how amateur violinists sound, and it is yeah, not good. Yeah, but I think it's <laughs> I think it's a really interesting thing because I I as I was thinking about time, there is a lot of different senses that are tied together. Um, it, it I think it is hard when as um I get you know like the writers we always think about like okay the senses and like how do we talk about it, and then I always think to myself it's really strange to to talk about it like I saw this or I smelled this or I felt this because as a person right we are constantly taking it all in at the same time mm -hmm. like you know compiling it all together because like it's all data that we have to use for pattern recognition to, to keep them dying right like that's how our brains work so it is interesting that in in um in books you're right like there is a there is fewer of this like crossover a metaphor that is used and that makes a lot of sense actually because we are always doing like this crossover ascending yeah. thing that's happening yeah i mean it's a, it's a it's a trick for me but you're absolutely right like the you know and i and i find I, I got a critique from one of my editors who was saying you're using the word like realizing or recognizing as your verb a lot because we're always taking in the stimulus but what's relevant to the plot is when the person notices right and so you know then they recognize the smell they identified this sound you know but really it was there all along it just isn't the, it isn't the plot until the person is responding, the character is responding to it. So that's something I have to watch out for. How can I make yeah. it clear to the reader? There, there is this phenomena, whatever it is, this sight, this sound. It's just that the character is unaware of it until this mm -hmm. moment, you know? And so how, how yeah, can that... I love that you embrace it, though, because it creates like something that's a really like, you know, a more unique reading experience oh, yeah. when you like see it. You're like, oh, you know, that's some that's a different way of describing it. I, I met a doctor once. I think it was a pediatrician who was probably putting my child back together again but after an ER trip. And um, he said something to me or said something to my, I don't know which kid it was either. Because it's like, I don't know. They both which which ER up. trip, right? Which ER trip. Um, something along the lines of like, we don't feel wet 
we yes. feel cold and slippery. Yep. And so when people say they are, they feel like there's wetness, it doesn't actually, it doesn't, I think, mean what people think it means. It actually is a sensation of temperature and in motion, I guess is the way I, mean, to I think it's temperature, it. motion, it's visual. Like mm-hmm. We have to look and go, oh, I am wet. I am putting mm-hmm. all these different stimuli together to figure exactly. out what is this sensation. But yeah, if you just had one sense or another, you would not know no, that, that is not cold. And I've had that experience too, where you you know grab something that's frozen. And the first thing you think is I'm being burned, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. dry ice or whatever. And because your body doesn't know the difference, it's just causing damage to tissue, right? And so- <laughs> just cooking yeah, that's, I think that's an interesting thing that we as writers can play with. You know, this, yeah. this person burned themselves on this ice because they really did from as far as the physical sensation. And then the reader goes, I get that. I understand mm-hmm. that feeling. Yeah. But yeah, I think this idea of the smell of time. <laughs> have you ever uh, uh, seen um, what are called courting candles? No, I don't think. Are they like? You should look it up. You will love this. So there was a time. Write it down. (laughs) Yes, cording candles. So these are these candles where the candle holder has a wooden base, and then it has this metal spiral that uh, is on it, and you put the candle inside, and you can decide how high or low you want the candle. Oh, nice! And this comes from a time when fathers it was very sexist very gendered the father of the young woman who was courting would set out the candle on the front porch oh, and the okay. young woman and her the person who was courting with her would get to talk as long as the candle was there and if the father liked the the young man the way to communicate to that to them was hey i'm twisting this thing so oh, you get lots of time and if i don't like you you get two turns of the screws because that was the way to keep time so that you could you could meld that into the poem then there was the courting candle phase i mean i feel like there's a there's a poem there too you know the twist of time twisting time yes yes i mean i can look back on my relationships and go this one was this one got two twists and should have gotten fewer and this this one again this one didn't get enough twists and this we one just opened many. up a whole new subgenre of <laughs> romance Yes, the courting candles. But I mean, I think that's a really cool idea to play with because you're right. We only think of time in the way we've been taught to think of time. And, you know, I I saw a TikTok video by a a teacher who was trying to explain to students that the Judeo-Christian calendar itself is this function of power to be able to say, we will determine for you what the year is, you know, that Christianity and colonialism will impose time on others who, for whom that was not time. And, uh, and, and so what, what kind of power do you have to have to be able to say to somebody, this is how you will conceive of time? Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you something that may make our, our view as a little sad, but I also think it's important information to, to give. Um, I learned through uh, working on, um, I was talking a little bit about this before, about the picture book for from the refugee community, that a lot of, uh, of, of refugees who are in America have a specific birthday, and it's January 1st, yep. because um, their calendar from culturally or just, you know, like calendar-wise, time-wise, is kept a different way. And so there's some translation lost in that timekeeping when, um, if for some reason they have to come here. And um, the way that it's handled is just by giving everyone the same birthday. And so to me, like the loss of that time 
right. but also like kind of the imposition of a new yes. time. That's is, exactly all, the word I was going to use. We have yeah. decided for you when this thing, which is culturally important to us, is now going to be imposed upon you. Your birthday now is this day. And yep. um, it's great. We've given you a very special day. But now this is technically how we measure a lot of things that are tied to the passage of time in your life is going to be, you know, this number. And it's the same number we give everybody yep. because it's and, too and hard the to calculate. there of saying, and everyone else in your community is going to have the same number. Mm -hmm. Like, what does that say to a group of people? You, this is a thing that is really important and distinct for all the people in our community, except for your whole group. You get January 1st. That mm -hmm. is, there's, there's a lot that you could do with that. You know, the, the January 1st community. Uh, yeah. you know, how many people I have I had a friend in in college who uh, was from Kenya and uh, he was Maasai and in his culture that he had no idea how old he was exactly because that was not important you know and then to have to fill out every form and say mm -hmm. this is how old I am knowing this is not true this is this estimate um, yeah and it's it's not like you know everybody has to have like a birthday party or birthday this or birthday that it's just more that it's such a big part of identity right in our culture and society in that you're culture. you're right. asked about it because you have to fill out forms you're asked about it for pretty much everything like what is your birth date and you have to put it down so it's interesting that time is time is very like you said like the 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 uh the importance of time but whose time right yeah who gets to decide? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, I, you could do a lot with that. That's, you could write a whole book of poetry about the smell of time. I like how this is like writers and not I writing have, and you're I just decided, like keep writing. Yes, when we are done procrastinating, here's your assignment, write an entire book of poetry about the smell of time. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what's coming up for you in terms of, uh, uh, you know, where folks can learn about your work right now? I don't, you know, not, uh, you know, what have you been, no, no process. If somebody is saying, I want to find out about your work now, where can they find your stuff? Yeah, or announcements? Um, what, what's going on with you? Okay. So I think um, for right now, let's see, I've got two. So um, one is with not a pipe. So there is a story here and this is such a, oh, good. it is, <laughs> I would say that when, when I was trying to understand what you were describing to me Ben that I felt like my mind had gone into <laughs> several loops that were like spiraling on itself um so I'm not sure that I can describe it as yes, well we should, as we you should can. tell everybody what this is about so the, yes. the idea here is and this is something that I talk about with my students I firmly believe that we are hardwired as human beings for story, for evolutionary reasons. We use story to communicate ideas to our children. Uh, and, and we see stories even when there is no story there because it is so evolutionarily hardwired. So I had this idea of doing an experiment to see if this would work. I asked authors if they would create a short story where at about the two thirds to three quarters mark through the story, some character turns to another and says, oh, this reminds me of the time where, or whatever. And they tell a story to the other character. And then the other character responds, you know, oh, this, this is now changing my behavior at the end of the story in some way. Only the challenge is the author herself does not know the story inside her own. Mm -hmm. And then I took all these stories and I nested them. So if you're reading the first story, a character tells a story. And then within that, somebody else tells a story. Yeah, it's this big, deep kind of V. And then you have all the endings. 
And so even though it's a short story anthology, you read it like a novel and you're reading a story within a story within a story within a story, and then they all resolve. And what you'll find, even though they are totally different genres, you know, this, this person is in the midst of a heist story and turns to somebody and tells them a, a science fiction story. And that person then tells a horror story. And that person tells a fantasy story that is set in a completely different world. They still all work. And so as we come out, the you know character says, oh, that, you know, and there was some finagling of putting them in an order. I don't so even that, know uh, how, so what algorithm you had yes. in your to do this, <laughs> because I was just like, I don't, again, like, so he, he told us that. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? But it Here's works. And, and I know I was asking a lot of the authors because so often when we're writing a story, we're saying, okay, I'm going to write this story. There was this prompt given, or maybe, you know, I'm writing it because I came up with it off the top of my head and I'm going to submit it to the Buckman Journal or whatever. And then if they reject it, I've still owned this thing and I can sell it to somebody else. I can still get it out in the world. And what I was asking these authors to do was write a story where it wouldn't work for anything else. Like here's this story where in the middle something happens that you don't know about and so this wasn't this was a this was a big ask for these authors and i really felt badly for the folks i had to reject because i was like <laughs> you have wasted your time but the folks who got included it's really cool the way it came out yeah it is really fun so i have a story in here and i um would say that it's calligraphy horror i write i write a lot of horror um and it's called mom mama only visits when it's dark and what i really enjoyed about reading the stories and in particular how it was put this was put together is it kind of reminded me of the fact that story like you said storytelling is very different um depending on how you've been raised or maybe right. like your culture or just how stories are presented and um sometimes you know there's a story that has you know beginning middle and end but the middle takes you on this journey to all these other stories, like I can't can't tell you about what happened at the end of this thing that I started because I gotta tell you what Aunt, you know, Sarah told like, me like about three, you know, three months ago what happened to her. And then we gotta talk about grandma. What happened? Grandma got married to her first husband, who was a total like, you know, whatever. You go through all these other things, you come back to the end, but you couldn't have gotten there right. unless you told the rest of the other stuff. And so it reminded me of that. And I really enjoyed it. It was definitely though impressive to see how because at least that's in a family and you know kind of how the story goes together this is just like here take them all yeah, <laughs> Put them together. it was wild having to try and figure out what is the best order so that it still works as a mm -hmm. single sequential story was really tricky because i i was comfortable with it jumping genres but i did want especially on that kind of back end for folks to feel like oh that one did resolve that one did resolve that makes sense that this affected that resolution so really that was the the deciding for me was would it make sense that your story would come before this other person's which meant it came after before mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that it then feels like oh it's it's natural that yours not only resolved but helped the next story resolve yeah and uh, so it was tricky but yeah folks should check that one out i think i think it is a it is an experiment and I think a success. So that was, and, and that was the other thing was saying to the authors, this may not work. <laughs> like Maybe we'll all work on this and it'll be a disaster and we won't publish it. And uh, it works. So check that yeah, out. I'm a big structure nerd. So I appreciated the the kind of experimental aspect of it. But I was also like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, so yep, yep. I didn't either going in. <laughs> that was our most experimental. Because most of the time we'll pick a theme like where we'll say, 
Okay, this is oh, but about then why that's so boring. Yeah. Let's not do yeah. that anymore. <laughs> um, well, you know, and and you know, I I think they're valuable for different reasons. We did one yeah. where only women authors. We did one where it was specifically about you know the rise of fascism and you know kind of warning of that. We've yeah. got one coming out this summer that's exclusively genre fiction by LGBTQIA mm -hmm. plus authors who often are underrepresented in the various genres. So you know there are you know phenomenal LGBTQIA plus authors working in every field, but in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, they're having a hard time breaking through. And we were like, we can create a space where we can get some of these voices. And so I'm very, I'm very intentionally not on the <laughs> editorial team of that one. It would be inappropriate for me to be like, and this is that white guy has decided that your story gets in. So I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not doing any of that work, but we've got this excellent team that's putting those together. And so I'm just as excited as everyone else to see how will that come together? <laughs> but uh I have I have gotten to preview some of the stories and they're really good. So that'll be a fun one this awesome. summer. But yeah, that stories within was one where I was going, and we might not have an anthology <laughs> this summer because it just might not work. <laughs> well, that's definitely one people should check out, especially the structure nerds, because I yes. think it's a lot of fun to kind of see how all the pieces work together. Um and yeah, I, I like it a lot. I have I think I have like four copies and I still have like I'm like, they're mine. Yeah. They're mine. <laughs> But I have given some away. Tell yeah. everybody Asian Ghost Stories, which is behind you. I can oh, yeah. The cover for that one came out. So it's really cool. I love that's yeah. a cool book. And um, I, I have gotten to read a couple of stories in there too. Uh, it's a really good yeah. book. So really this well. one is um this is by Flame Tree. And what they have in here, which is what I really love about this book, is that um because horror stories and ghost stories in particular are such a huge part of, I think, Asian heritage, Asian belief systems and culture. It, it did strike me as a little bit um, unusual that for such a long time, there weren't a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of horror stories and, and you know, movies and stuff, you know, South Korea and also in China and in Japan and all that, like Ring and, and all that. Um, but I felt like it wasn't quite yet here for a long right. time in the U.S. And so um, one of the things it's I really interesting like that the film broke through before the literary. Yeah. And so what I really like about this book is that it has new authors. And so I have I have a story in here that um, is about a Chinese version of the Ouija board that you make instead of mm. buy. You create one and what happens when it's when it's used. But a lot of the stories in here are translations of ancient stories. And so these are folk tales. These are the things that I grew up with. These are the things that, you know, like I say, I'm not superstitious, but I like to make sure I appease my relatives so they don't come over and haunt me. <laughs> so yes. there's a yes. lot of that in here. You know, you think about like fox spirits, you think about the resentful ghosts, the ring character, you know, that's based off of a of an actual supposedly real story. Um, and about a, a samurai's servant. And so there's a lot in here where it really brings you to the original. And I, I like that because I don't think I've seen something that does that combination of uh, translations plus some you know updated stories. Yeah, yeah that's cool. And, and this one I, I like a lot. Um, I also have an essay. So this is fiction and this is the nonfiction ones. I do write horror. Um, and Angela and Lee are Stoker winners, the editors of this. And so this came out on Valentine's Day this year and their essays from women horror writers. Uh -huh. And what we talk about in here, we explore kind of like, um, uh, we call it mises. So they're kind of messy memoir -y essays 
uh, about our experiences as as women in our in our culture, whatever those experiences are, because diaspora is huge, right? Just because mm-hmm. there's overlap doesn't mean like right all of us are are so the same. Variety. Yeah, and so we we write about our lives, but we also write it in the context of uh, how we would you know incorporate these horror elements because we are so much steeped in it because we write about it. Um, and I wanted to contribute to it because I like to write oftentimes about the immigrant experience. I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. And so I like to write about that experience and incorporate it um, into a lot of my into a lot of my writing, um, particularly the horror stories. And uh, this one, I talked about that experience, but then contextualized it with this uh, really well-known Chinese folktale called Huapi, which is about the painted skin. And <clears throat> it's about this demoness who, uh, basically wears human skin and pretends to be a woman so that way she can blend into society and be married or married into a, like a as a younger wife into a, a family um, but it it's it's a it's an interesting story to me because a lot of times horror stories Asian horror stories don't empower the women the women are problematic, they are temptresses, or they are spirits to be dispelled, or they're just annoying ghosts, or foxes or something. But this one, there were two strong women characters yeah. on opposite sides. And the husband was kind of useless. So yeah. I I like that. I like being able to draw connections between those fictional women and the women in my life. So yeah. yeah. So I think well, it's also a, that idea great. of wearing skin is such a great metaphor for putting on gender for you mm-hmm. know, for for demonstrating what woman this is 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 the this cultural you know thing I, I need to wear the part right yeah and that's a, a powerful metaphor to play with every every she would have this character this demoness would have to repaint the skin to keep it so that she could assimilate essentially yeah. into this society and into this household. And once they discovered that she wasn't actually what they saw on the outside, they immediately rejected her. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a, a, a really interesting metaphor to, you know, to compare it with immigration and assimilation. Yeah. But I'm also thinking, you know, as all these anti-drag bills are being passed all over the country, I've been thinking about what else is, you know, potentially precluded by them that we don't want to acknowledge is drag. You know, mm-hmm. if drag is a a presentation of gender to show kind of the ridiculousness, the fact that gender is a cultural construction, then I think if we were really being honest, we have to acknowledge like WWE wrestling is absolutely a drag show. <laughs> like, I love is, wrestling. Is, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's somebody saying, I'm going to put, I'm going to paint myself in toxic masculinity you know like, yeah and, no absolutely and, and tights and makeup you know it is it's, it's a, it is a um it, i mean it's it's entertainment i guess right. and it's it's a fictional yeah a fictional like you know character persona that's created and it's storytelling right yeah. and some of the stories are i i watched a, a lot of wrestling oh, yeah, when i was too. little like like you know hulk hogan yes, exactly. like dusty Rhodes, Albano with like, the rubber band oh, yeah. on his cheek oh yeah, yeah. And the one thing I really loved about the, you know, the creation of these characters is that it was one of the few places that was 
it was really, really clear to people outside of a culture and a language. My grandmother loved it yes. because she didn't need to speak need English. Language. You yeah. don't need it. You understand everything that's going on just by watching the interactions and the just it's it's a it's the, it's the body language clearly i don't like you yeah. you don't like me we're now going to yeah i mean everything was yeah it's, it's i had not thought of that fact yeah that it's, it's beyond it's, language it's beyond it's communication that transcends cultural and yeah. language barriers and i think you know if if someone wants to create that type of communication it's really powerful oh, because yeah. it reaches beyond just you don't have to say much, but you can right. show a lot more and communicate a lot yeah. to a lot of people who may not have access to language or, or any of that. So well, I yeah. think it's also a great mechanism, even with the language removed, to explore what is it that gender means? Mm -hmm. You know, why is it that this guy is being manly when he's wearing tights and clearly wearing makeup, which are things we generally associate with femininity, but he's being masculine because he does what? And even without being able to hear the words coming out of his mouth, okay, the way he is posturing, the way he is threatening, the way, I mean, all these things that we have been taught to associate with masculinity are on display. And it's a good chance for us to step back and go, what does that say about masculinity? Like if mm -hmm. that is being, if that is maleness, it turns out it's not the clothes and it turns out it's not not wearing makeup. It's getting in somebody else's face and, you know, like being menacing, then that's, this is drag. This is a way to explore gender. And my fiance and I were talking this morning about how these folks who want to ban drag will never ban WWE. They'll mm -hmm. never ban football. They no. Really, banning drag is really the intersection of attacking the LGBTQ community and attacking women. And they're saying to be to be like a woman is bad, right? To be demonstrating masculinity is acceptable. And uh, I think there's there's something worth reflecting on in all the places that are saying let's ban drag are really saying let's only ban drag if a person dresses up as a woman. Like it's it's really gendered. Yeah, um, I, I think it's a great idea. I, mean, I feel like we've just been generating all these like anthology ideas and poetry yes, ideas. Right? I think it would be a great idea to um, take like, you know, modern, like current social issues, social justice issues, but also just current issues, right? These complex issues and then put them into the context of some of these stories that come from whatever culture, right. like, like, you know, ancient stories, because a lot of these things of acceptance of like otherness of like wanting to belong, those things are through lines through all the stories and all every story really. And so if, if you can kind of meld them together, it's a really interesting there's, I don't know. It's not necessarily as like tricky as this, but I don't know. <laughs> no, I think it could be fantastic. I think there, there's your next novel is instead no. of the short story <laughs> that's just about one painted demoness, what if you had a group of demons who are in different elements of society painting mm -hmm. themselves and trying to masquerade and what is their... What what is the cultural context by which they're trying, and you know, are they communicating with each other about, hey, you go try and 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 paint yourself in this way, and you go try and portray this, and how do they all then, you know, get caught, not get caught, get dismissed because they cease to be sufficiently whatever. So yeah. I think that would be a really cool, and you know, then you get to write about demonesses too, which is cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, you've you've got a whole, yeah, you've got at least a whole book there, maybe a series. <laughs> My favorite part is that, well, it, it is in this story that I saw with painted skin is that um, in the versions that I read, the demoness, when she wears the painted skin and she goes into the household, you know, it's like, oh, there's a demon in your house, like, oh, it's doing awful things. 
she does housework she cooks yeah. she cleans she folds a lot she talks to the to the guy she keeps him happy she like is doing all these like really like nurturing things and people like oh she's evil she's stealing your energy and um and she does all these nice things for him and then he gets you know he kicks her out once he realizes that she's a, a demoness and then she gets really mad so she rips out his heart i'm like yes yeah she was <laughs> doing everything well there's a thinking, Gary. <laughs> there, there's a great whole you know uh a plot for your book yes. there too is you know what what are the the way that we have still not created gender parity in in these heterosexual relationships around work you know that that uh, women are expected to work out of the home you know 60 hours a week and do all the household work and you know like the, this this painted demon comes into the home and says i'm doing everything and then he goes yeah and i've decided you're a demon you're out and she's like mm, yeah you, i'm ripping your heart out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome yeah so uh we do on this show we do a weekly poll and okay. I need to pull up the results from this last week. So uh, last week we asked folks if which they preferred, winter or summer, and we oh. only gave them those two options. So okay. If you had to choose winter or summer. And where would you stand on that one? Winter or summer? Oh, I mean, I want to say it depends on the, the point. For So for poetry, I would say winter is better, <laughs> but for... Uh, probably going outside. I, I mean, reading poetry winter is better. Writing poetry summer is better. So how about that? Yes, yes. I, and I have a very, very strong preference because I am basically allergic to the sun. Like if I okay. step out into the sun, I will fry. And so Are you a vampire? Me, yeah, like, uh, you know, my, 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 my ancestors lived so far to the north in Scotland that they were like, son, I, we don't have to deal with that problem. I feel like the Mr. Potato Head costume plus the cabbage that I'm wearing it's... is just a ruse. Like that's <laughs> like we're trying to blend in. And what you really are is telling a vampire me that in a Mr. Potato Head costume. If somebody can yes. if you're listening and you envision a vampire in a Mr. Potato Head costume, that's me. Absolutely. <laughs> well, this is interesting. So I. I'm strongly, excuse me, I'm strongly on the, the winter side of this, but but folks who uh, wrote in and took the poll on Twitter, predominantly summer. Summer yeah. was the 64% one, uh, the, if people had to decide, uh, we, you know, we're creating the, the false binary there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, so at least you didn't make them vote on something like, you know, <laughs> super serious, like, you know, choose between bacon and ham, or I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, that's that would just cause like you know it'd be like that scene from ghostbusters where it's like you know <laughs> like, the, the cats absolute, and dogs be like yes. liking each other no <laughs> the absolute chaos that ensues yeah uh so what should be our next poll this okay. poll this week for you for your show well um let's see so you know i I always believe that the way to um, handle people who might be your like nemesis is to kind of know what their strengths are, right? I mean, because I don't know, I don't think I'm gonna have to have a like you know fight for the <laughs> to save the world. But if I had to, um, I would say that we should have a poll to see what to what what powers what power we would give to an arch enemy or like a villain that we had to fight. Cause then you at least have some option, right. right. To, to, to control Which, for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what would be your two options? Okay. So um, these are superpowers that I would like to. So I'm kind yeah. of being nice to this enemy person. Yeah, they're legit um, superpowers. They're le legit superpowers. So one is the ability to um, change 
density. So you could make uh, like things float or sink or, um, you know, pick up something and make it really, really like uh, heavy. So I would say that. So object density uh, change would be one. And then the other one is the ability to talk to animals because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so both of those are powers you would want. But the question is, mm -hmm. which would you give to your arch enemy? I yes. like that. That's, that's a more interesting question. Which You have to give away something that you want, but you also have to think about, you know, yeah. and you don't I necessarily get the one that's left over. It's just what would you give right. to the person? Yeah. But you have to give one of these to your arch enemy who you're going to battle. So which one do you want? That that will be a fun one. So if folks are uh, interested in weighing in, we'll, we'll toss that up and you can weigh in this week. Uh, next up, your to read pile. What, okay. what are you looking forward to that will also take you away from your writing? Mm -hmm. I have a lot, but I'm going to say this one because it's one of the newer ones, at least in my pile. I, I hadn't read. I know it's it's been around for a while. So my friend um, Susan Wang and Julian Chaya. Julian is 13, so I take his recommendations yep. very seriously because uh, to get like kind of above like like you know steady level of reaction from a 13 year old boy yeah. yep is like okay i better check this out so he recommended um scythe by neil schusterman and i think it's really like apropos for our times mm -hmm. um my understanding is that the story is about a society where sort of dystopian but not really you know like an ai has basically taken care of all of our ailments so people live forever we're, we're all happy no disease, no death, everyone is just alive. But then there's a problem because you can't have that many people alive. So you have reapers who go through and basically keep the population in check. And so I'm really interested in seeing how this AI plays out in this society and how, um, you know, how that works out. Because Maybe I should take notes. Right, right. Well, I, I, I uh, this is one that I have had my eye on too. And I was thinking, do I actually have that in my shelves? And I realized it's in my classroom because you're right. My students love it. And it's been recommended to me by students. So that's one that I will have to check out as well. Um, this one I picked up at NorwestCon last year. Uh, it's called The Ultra Thin Man by Patrick Swenson. And it's a future noir and so I'm curious to see how that works. Mm -hmm. uh, and I nice. got it at NorwestCon last year and I'm going again this year. And who knows, maybe Mr. Swenson will be right next to me and I would future like to be able to say I, I read your book. How do you dress future for future noir? noir? Like, right? what do you, like, how do you dress for that? I yeah. mean, could you do the to the same costume, well, I don't know. I've read some future noir, you know, you've got your uh, uh, Blade Runner kind of a feel. And then I read one that was uh, a, a murder mystery, but it was mm -hmm. uh, a noir and that was really fun. So I think I'll enjoy it. But even, even looking at the cover art, which is beautiful, yeah. I'm not sure I'm quite catching it. Uh, so that folks can read it or if there's too much reflection. I can kind of see. There. There's a little bit of reflection, yeah, but I can see. Yeah, how do I get oh. off of that? Maybe oh, yes. Yeah, that. that'd be good. Don't but give us seizures. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, it's, it doesn't look like, you know, Blade Runner-esque. Yeah, it looks like yeah. this really different feel, this single character on this kind of barren field, but everything looks rather than well, yeah. made of stone like it's almost like technological yeah. you know nature itself has become so who knows i i, I don't know I, enough about it uh, but i it's on my to read piles and yeah, well, well once i finish mine and you finish yours maybe we'll just have to do a book swap yeah, or something we'll swap. We'll so swap. and we'll link to both those in the show notes so folks can yeah. check those out as well Great. so uh where can folks find you online 
Oh, online. Um, after we just uh, we're, we're we're thinking about like AI. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, the where can you find done. me? Where can they all mm-hmm. find me? Um, I'm on a few things. I'm on um, Instagram as uh, Polito, so P A I P P O L I T O. I kind of post about all sorts of random things. I would say it's board gaming, um, the running, the cooking, and then books and poetry. So it's a, you'll get a range. And yeah. hopefully that satisfies a few <laughs> different yes. appetites. Some, you, you will find something you like there. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm on Facebook still because I'm on Facebook still, but, you know, I'm still on Facebook. Um, then I'm Francis Pye there. And I have a website, which I should update more often, but it's um, www.francisipolito.com. I was on Twitter, but I have to be really honest that I am kind of bad about Twitter uh, nowadays. I do try to post, but you know, I'm still waiting for everything to settle. Uh-huh. I'm just still waiting for yep, it to like legit. just find its its, its place, yeah, I, I, and then I we'll think, see. <laughs> no, you know, don't don't say you're not good at Twitter. Say it was a strong political stance. Not, <laughs> you know, and, and that's why you're not tweeting anymore. I think that's that's totally legitimate. I'm just I'm just seeing how it all like you know the Jello we just wiggling a lot right now. <laughs> just yes, for yes, that's a good way to describe Twitter. It is wiggling Jello. <laughs> it's right wiggling now. Jello. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, before we get to our send-off, I need to thank some folks. Uh, Thanks to the artist Max Oakland, who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro, I Prefer the Dusk. Let Max know you like it by following him on Twitter at Max Oakland. And thanks to Halizna CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. If you're in a band and you'd like your song used on the show, I would love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song, so email that to me. Thanks, as always, to Doug, the producer, for making the show sound good and taking the blame when it doesn't. I appreciate that, Doug. Uh, and uh, I cannot forget to mention Writers Not Writing is a production of Not A Pipe Publishing, so please go to notapipepublishing.com and check out the amazing works of writers who didn't procrastinate too much. If you like this show, rate it and review it wherever you found it, and please check out Francis's stories in the anthologies Chromophobia and Gothic Asian Ghost Stories. Rate and review those two. Even a very short review and a single click on that fifth star makes a huge difference to authors. So if you have three minutes, make Francis's day. I am too old to yell, smash that like button. But if you could gently tap the like button for this show, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, and so that brings us to our sign off. So Francis, what would you like? We got, we got three things that Francis and I would like you all to remember this week. So Francis, give them their first one. Okay. Um... I like food, so I'll say this one. Uh, live your life like a dumpling. Don't overfill it or you'll burst open. And don't overseason or you'll lose sight of your focus. We should always strive to be a well-balanced bow. Mm, I like that. Second, in life as in writing, it's the spaces between the words that make it all meaningful. So don't ignore the spaces. And third, no matter how much you procrastinate, we're still proud of you. Aww. <laughs> If I take my time, I may.